Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there. Welcome to the show. You can get yourself money off your legal fees with Levi Solicitors, our podcast partner. Head to our TSB landing page and get your 10% discount. Levi's offer personal and commercial legal services and with 85 years of legal excellence under their belts, you're in safe hands. You can get in touch via levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Well, hello, I'm Dan Moylan and with me remotely is Michael Normanson. Hello. And so is Moscow White. Daniel Chapman. Hello. A quick word on our stuff. Issue 8 is the final magazine of the season. You can get yours on our website. And if you'd like to keep uh, a few of us off the streets for a bit longer, keep this nonsense going for a while, then grab some of our merchandise. We've got a big uh, restock in progress at the minute. New mugs, t-shirts, prints, all coming back into stock on our merch store with new colours of the famous Leeds Carajo t-shirts on the way too. Links to all those are at thesquareball.net. Just over two weeks of the season left. Five games to go. Overall, are we about where we expected to be at this point? Mentally or points-wise? You tell me. I think points-wise, we're probably about what we'd expect, aren't we? We had it, The start of this run always looked harder than the end of it with the Cardiff and Fulham games, which I, I kind of anticipated we might not get anything from. So it's maybe okay. I wish Brentford were a bit worse. If Brentford could just have lost a single game, everything would be absolutely fine. We feel to me like we're a lot nearer to promotion than I expected to be even in the first week of July. Everything's moved on to a very different kind of schedule. And when you say there's how many weeks of the season are left? About half. I think all the games are played within the next two days or something. It's It just doesn't, it's not enough. I think there should be, I don't want to prolong the agony of trying to get promoted, but also I don't think I'm ready for the season to end, but it's going to really soon. I feel desperate for it to end, I've got to be honest. I'm, I quite enjoy this fast pace. But at least whatever happens, we know it's going to be over soon. Well, I pulled some information from a website, infogoal.net. They have on it an expected table and it measures your performance based on expected goals for and against. The story with Leeds is that we are underperforming on XG at the minute by a fair amount. Um, we've scored 63 rather than the 77 that XG thinks we should have scored. Does show that we've been wasteful with our chances. The defence, however, is slightly overperforming, conceding 34 from an XG of 36. So we're, we're in pretty rude health, to be honest. We've got an average XG of 1.88 goals per game. So it means basically in, in layman's terms that we are creating opportunities good enough to score nearly two goals per game. And the expected table has us top. We are forecasted to finish top based on our performance so far. And we are top. So it's hard to argue with that evidence. 
I feel a bit like XG has betrayed us in recent weeks, looking at the the fact we should have beaten Luton and Cardiff quite comfortably, and then Blackburn and Fulham should have been quite tight games, and it's been the complete reverse of that. I don't really know how we keep doing it. Is the truth of it? I don't like it's happened across both seasons now with Bielsa. We seem to be breaking statistical models, other than the fact that, you know, we are still top of the league as we should be. We somehow managed to contrive to miss lots and lots of chances in games when we have lots of chances and in games when we have fewer chances, we seem to score more. We are a very good team. I feel like that that gets lost sometimes. We are a point clear at the top of the league and every opposing manager, every opposing pundit, every sort of neutral observer looks at Leeds United and says they were one of the best teams that the championship has ever seen. It's only amongst Leeds fans that there seems to be this perception that we are totally shit and um, and the doom is impending. We're, we're really, really good. And the other thing that seems to have, have slipped off the radar a little bit is the the weirdness of the the current circumstances. It's not only the the schedule that's strange and the fact that there's no fans in the stadium, but I feel like the, the conversation that was happening during lockdown, where I was talking about fitness and whether there was going to be enough time in pre-season for players to get back up to speed, all kind of got forgotten the moment that we kicked off against Cardiff and everybody's kind of expected us just to be playing exactly as if this is a, a normal season. And it isn't. We're looking at a, a team that is knackered um, and has had more time apart than they would have had in a normal close season and then has been asked to come back and play over nine games, the nine games of their lives, essentially, to to get the team promoted. And in that context, I feel like the games against Cardiff and Luton, recognising that they had a very good win over Fulham in between, kind of become a little bit more believable when you remember that there's a lot being asked of some very tired footballers at the moment in circumstances under which they would not normally being asked to play. So all the stuff about form and XG and are they doing what they should be doing, all expectations pretty much reset from zero. And I'm comfortable that we're still top. And 3-1 against Blackburn is a very, very respectable result. Do you feel, like I do, that it's just taken us a few games to find our stride again? Because the performance at Blackburn, to me, felt like the leads that we'd kind of the best version of Leeds that we'd seen over the course of the season and that maybe they're just getting back in their groove a little bit now. Yeah, I think so. What I liked about the Blackburn performance was how often we were nicking the ball off them. There was a real noticeable impetus around the idea of whenever Blackburn had the ball, we would take it off them and we generally did. And not only for the the opening goal, but throughout the game, it was a real step up. But all the the running stats that they were talking about and the the fact that we came back fitter than we'd been before uh, the pandemic hit, it doesn't replace the psychological part where you're looking at a squad that had only been communicating on WhatsApp for two months, more than two months. I've lost all sense of time. I don't even, I don't understand how we're still playing football in July. And getting that rhythm back, which is something that they rely upon so much of this team's quality is down to rehearsed movements what Scott Parker will tell you are rehearsed and scripted 
movements, but he, he had a, a point to an extent where we do repeat things, we do do the same things. It relies on people being on the same wavelength. And you could see in the, the first game at Cardiff, I remember there were a, a couple of instances, I think it might have even been Ben White just booted a couple of easy passes into the into the advertising hoardings. Wouldn't have happened before the break. Getting them back together, they had, this was Gary Monk's complaint, but about two weeks of contact training, it's difficult to get back up to speed. It's annoying that Brentford have managed to make it look so easily, but my counter-argument to all this is that teams, every other team apart from Leeds is trying to do something much simpler. They're just playing shit football and playing shit football is easy. We're trying to play really good football and that's a lot more difficult and it needed this team meeting after the Luton game and it needed a few games to find the rhythm for them to get that telepathy back. It's a bit harsh on Brentford to say they're playing shit football because they, they have seen pretty good from what I've seen in them this don't season. Don't watch them. I just assume <laughs> they're rubbish. They, I, I don't like that they call their, their forward line BMW. Once you've got a nickname for your strikers, you can fuck off as far as I'm concerned. So they could be the, the reinvention, reinvention of 1970 um, Ajax. Not interested. I think it, the difference to the Blackburn game was just that down the centre of the pitch, I thought Ben White was really good again after he... I mean, it was a minor sort of error against Luton, but he was really good. I thought uh, Phillips and Click were both really good in the middle as well. And that just, like you say, we just kept taking the ball off them. Every meant they could never get anything going. And when we did get things going, we actually converted some chances for a change. And it's actually very small differences, I think, in between all of the games. We could really have won all of them. You'd struggle to argue against us in, in any of them, I would say. Well, let's pull on a few threads then from the last week or so, uh, just to quickly touch on the XG. And, you know, we can get lost in stats and we don't want to put too much weight on them, but they're, they're an interesting guide for how we're, we are expected to perform, hence the tag expected goals. And like the Luton draw was an XG of 2.41 to us versus 0.29 for Luton. So they vastly overperformed their XG and we massively underperformed ours. And that didn't even include the Bamford chance towards the end because he didn't get contact with it. Where you compare that with Luton versus Reading and the numbers are not far off identical. And obviously Reading won 5-0. It was 0.61 to Luton and not, and sorry, 2.72 for Reading, which is, is ludicrous and shows you what could have happened on another day. We should, we win that game. Even if it's played in daylight, we probably win that game because presumably Pat Bamford and Helder Costa are not blinded by the uh, the floodlights on the West Stand and we win that game 3-1 and we don't have to get all upset about the fact we've been so frustrating. It can be one of those games where we can just acknowledge that, yeah, it was a bit hard to break them down, but it was absolutely fine and we've won and we're getting promoted. As it was, it triggered, it always triggers a bit of an existential panic when we don't win these games because you start getting to the realms of thinking, well, maybe we're doing it wrong. Maybe it's better to not have possession and not have all, all of the pressing and everything just get a big man up front and play Neil Warnock style because that's how you get out of this division. But then you remember we've tried that before and it was bloody awful and it didn't work. So maybe we need to just stick with this. And then just jumping ahead to the Blackburn game from the Luton 1 XG there, 0.44 for Blackburn and 1.18 for Leeds. And it returns us to what I said on the match ball at the weekend, which is when we take our chances, it just settles everything down because we outperformed our XG and we look like a different side. There is a a sort of a sliding doors alternate reality where if in that summer where we were desperately trying to sign uh, Vidra or whoever else and we ended up with dear old Pat Bamford, the difference that that could have made to our strike rate and how we perform relative to the chances that we 
create. But then you look at the result at Blackburn and that goal that um, Bamford scored, I really enjoyed on reflection when I realised how it's exactly the same as the goal that we scored or he scored against Bolton last year. But it was on the other side. Pablo Hernandez rolled a, a very similar through ball onto his right foot and he first time buried it into the, the near bottom corner. And then there was matches click giving it to him on his left foot and it did exactly the same. And I, it reminded me that back then we were, I was wondering about the, the change from Ruth to Bamford and, and whether it would give us more opportunity through the the middle that through balls would be something he would prefer rather than the, the cutbacks from the side. All of which is to kind of say that Bamford is very good at what he does. There is this alternative reality that is not too difficult to wonder about where if we'd spent seven million pounds on a different striker, whether the picture would be completely different. But I think we've said before on this podcast that argument kind of got parked a little bit earlier in the season before the run in when complaining or moaning or wishing that we had somebody else up front. We brought in Ketia in, he did now Augustin came in, did now we're now going for promotion with seventeen games in two weeks. And we've got no choice but to stick with the players that we've got and hope that they can can do everything they can. And there's Bamford popping up on Saturday when we actually really, really need him to score scores. And that's possibly more important than whether we're fulfilling our sort of XG possibilities or expectations at the moment is scoring when we damn well need it. Clicks goal. I just have this feeling at the moment it's more beautiful than Calvin Phillips' sensational free kick because I've wanted for a while somebody to just take a shot from the edge of the penalty area for it to bounce off a load of people's knees and just go in the net instead of going wide or instead of not shooting or instead of it being blocked and booted clear just for one of those to go in. And that's all we need from now on is we don't necessarily need uh, beautiful free kicks from Calvin. Nice of him to try it. Don't do it again. Just scuff that in. Get them the ball in the net as much as possible. I don't care who does it, because that's the other flip side to, to any conversation about Bamford is why is he the only player we've got in double figures. Just as many of you as possible, put the ball in the net as many times as possible. Fuck everything else. A word then at the other end of the pitch, uh, Melier in our goal. And we've now got a little bit more of a handle on what he's like because our sample size was quite small before the break for lockdown. We'd, you know, we'd only really seen the Arsenal game in a couple of league matches. Uh, what do you reckon to him? Because you notice the occasional twinge of nerves creeps into his game. Well, I'm not entirely convinced by him. There's just something about him I like and I can't decide if it's just knowing what he sounds like or his, his freakish physique. But there's just something I quite like about him. He's, he's clearly very confident and he's shown some nice bravery as well. One of them, I think it was the Blackburn rather than the Luton game, when he, I think it was from one of his mistakes actually, but then he came out and jumped at a striker's feet and I just thought, He's maybe all right, this lad. He's got that slight madness that I think a decent goalkeeper needs to have. He's very young. I mean, he's three years younger than Bailey Peacock Farrell. And you still consider that weirdo to be a baby face. And it's noticeable that um, since we went for, since we were linked in, um, I think it was Phil Hay said that we'd been taking serious looks at Emilio Martinez at Arsenal, who... Um, I think he's 27 now and has just, since that became news, he's gone into their first team because their their first choice goalkeeper got in, injured and has been superb. 
he's done the Shea Adams thing of as soon as as soon as Leeds show even a sliver of interest, becomes an absolute Premier League sensation. But he was signed for Arsenal, I think, a, a similar age to we've taken Melier, and then spent the next seven years on loan. Uh, I think he's been at Rotherham. He's certainly been at Reading. There's a long, long list of clubs he's spent his loan spells at until he is mature enough to be the first choice in a, a Premier League team. Melly is 20 and I don't hold any of the goals we've conceded against him so far. Certainly not the uh, Blackburn free kick, which um, Adam Armstrong is their, their superstar when Bradley Dak's not in the team. And it was a great finish that I resented because it was just a complete copy of Calvin Phillips. If Calvin Phillips was a brilliant free kick, then his was also a brilliant free kick. And not, none of us are looking at Blackburn's goalkeeper for, for Calvin's goal. He's um, the level of coaching that's being highlighted from Marcelo Bielsa standing on the sidelines telling him who to pass to, I think indicates his greenness and his youth. Long term, I'm happy with him. Stick with him. I'd, I'd like us to not dismiss him because of age or because of quakiness in his first few matches in the championship. But I'd also quite like us to sign this Martinez guy from Arsenal because he looks mint. And let's face it, he's not cost us any goals, which towards the end of his stint in net, which would probably go down with one of the more disastrous ones as from a Leeds United goalkeeper. Kiko was basically costing us points every single match or we were having to do a lot more work to try and cover for his mistakes, just trying to claw back the goals that he was letting in. So from that base, he's doing all right. At Ewood Park, we saw Barry Douglas back and Phil is doing a big bit on him this week on The Athletic. There's more on that and the promotion bid on The Phil Hayes Show, our podcast that we do for uh, The Athletic ahead of the Stoke match. Now that is usually out on a Friday, but thanks to the daft fixtures, as we've been mentioning before there, it's dropping a little bit earlier this week. You get ad-free writing and podcasts when you subscribe to The Athletic. You can get 50% off as a square ball listener. Our discount is in place for a limited time only. Head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball. As well as the Arsenal keeper, we've seen a few more links in the transfer market this week. A lot of Argentinians. You get the feeling this is quite lazy, don't you? I mean, Buendia was a fair shout because he is currently being relegated with Norwich and is probably their best player. So he And we do need a number 10 attacking midfielder, so he kind of makes sense. But these new guys, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I'd heard of either of them. Moscow, South American football expert. Um, yeah, I believe they've been um, they've been doing very well for their their clubs lately, and um, based on their their performances, a number of European clubs have expressed an interest. And I've been speaking to some contacts in Argentina, and uh, nobody there will be surprised if they make some uh, big transfers this season. Equally, they could stay at their clubs and uh, and gain some more experience there ahead of a move at a later date. So at this stage, you have to say that it is very likely that there will be some news about this, but also it could be that nothing happens. <laughs> Thank you very much. You should, you should consider a job uh, writing for some websites. That's basically all you need to do. You, if you could have copy and pasted a bit more Wikipedia, you'd have been almost there. I mean, we should mention them. The one I looks like a complete liability, I thought. Lucas Martinez Cuarta from River Plate. It may just be selective footage of him on YouTube, but it's just basically him doing a load of big Berardi tackles. It's supposed to be a ball-playing centre-back, but this video is just him sliding across a pitch and taking people's legs out. I mean, I, I'm perfectly all right with that, but he, I, I suspect we're not going to see much of him if he comes over here. 
reputations in that sense are quite interesting. I was reading about Blackburn's team before we played them on Saturday, and I can't remember which one of their defenders um, models himself on Rio Ferdinand. But I didn't see much evidence of it against Leeds United, but I'm all up for a, an Argentinian Berardi. And the other one is an Argentinian Pablo Hernandez, who, according to YouTube, has already gone to AC Milan, but that seems to be premature. But he does a lot of Pablo-type stuff, jinking around behind the strikers, putting through balls, then shooting and stuff. I don't know. We do need someone to do that, don't we? But whether or not a 22-year-old who's coming straight out of Argentina will be up to it, I have no idea. But that's where Bielsa will be the the key to unlock this transfer and will help him settle in the way he helped Jean-Kevin Augustin settle in. He's very welcoming to uh, to green players who, who just need that little bit of guidance. On the one hand, I feel really sorry for Jean-Kevin Augustin, which we'll come on to in a minute or two. On the other hand, I am also excited to see who we sign as his replacement. And we've been linked with um, uh, Odson Eduard, who's at Celtic. So for anybody who doesn't know much about him, uh, or Scottish football, then fill in the blanks if we could. Well, I've been speaking to some uh, contacts in Scotland and uh, and they say he's been having a very good season at Celtic, who uh, who again have been um, one of the dominant teams in the Scottish Premier this year. He scored a lot of goals, which have put him on the radar of uh, of some of the biggest clubs in um, in the English Premier League. And there's some interest from uh, from Europe as well. Will he make a move this summer? Well, that remains to be seen. He could. Also, he may want to stay at Celtic for another season. But if he does make a move, um, I think it's very likely it will be to to one of the teams who are currently interested in him. (laughs) I must admit, having watched no Scottish football for years and years, I went straight to YouTube for this guy. And it looks amazing on YouTube. So let's just sign him. Uh, and reassuringly, um, he's a young PSG graduate uh, who scored loads of goals at youth level for France. So it's been a while since we had anyone like that. So this guy sounds like he'll fit right in. The new Saul Bamba, who also took a detour through Scotland to get his post-Paris Saint-Germain career on track. What's interesting about this is how the link to Leeds seems to have outraged so many Celtic fans who are convinced that one, he won't be interested in coming to uh, Premier League relegation fodder. I think it was the quote I saw, which is uh, kind of reassuring that they've already seen we're going up. So that's that's good. They're, they've got more faith in us than a lot of Leeds fans. But the other thing that may keep him in Glasgow is the idea that he wants to make history as part of their 10-in-a-row title-winning side next season. And it's all about, you know, he'll understand the uh, the way he could become a legend by being part of that. And uh, I mean. Yeah, winning 10 in a row is pretty good, but who are they winning it ahead of exactly? Steve Gerrard and then uh, there's only like four other teams in the Scottish Premier League anyway, and they're all rubbish. So whether he would uh, he would really feel that emotional pull to be part of history at a team where he's been for a year or two, just signed for Leeds, easier, better. Hopefully be more, um, more Viduka than Augustin anyway. I feel sorry for Big Kev. I really do feel sorry for him. It would appear that, I don't know, do you share my opinion on this, that maybe somewhere in the background of all this, because he's not been able to get up to the required fitness standards required by Bielsa, that Bielsa's kind of, the, the die is cast, he's made his mind upon him now and we've kind of just got to pick up the pieces, whether it's uh, some sort of legal battle or trying to get out of this transfer or whatever, because it, it feels like 
we're heading for some sort of reckoning on this at some point. I feel a bit like had he joined probably 99% of other clubs, he would have had more game time and would have probably got himself a bit more match fit and found his way into a bit of form possibly, or at least had the chance to. The fact Bielsa's got these incredible fitness standards is has probably gone against him, but then he's part of a whole, isn't it? You can't, Bielsa can't all of a sudden just say to all the other squad members who he's insisted this fit, he can't all of a sudden say to them, oh, well, but this guy's really expensive and he's, you know, we're going to spend 20 million quid on him. So we just kind of need to let him play. Even though I said to all you, look, you need to be really fit. He doesn't. So he doesn't want to undermine that. And I don't know. If we had Paul Heckingbottom in charge, I'd want Heckingbottom out and, and Augustan to play. But as we've got Marcelo Bielsa, I'm kind of happy with Bielsa's decision. And also a hamstring injury is a hamstring injury. If we hadn't had the the pause while the pandemic got started, he wouldn't have got close to the first team anyway because he got injured and then there was no prospect of him getting fit. He, he basically had a an unexpected second chance as a result of everything being paused for two and a half months but wasn't able to get himself back to the fitness that would allow him to then get up to the fitness that Bielsa would require. And Bielsa, on the one hand, yes, it is un- unfortunate for Big Kev that he's he's not been given the opportunity at Leeds to get his career restarted the way he was perhaps looking for after his, his loan at Monaco and the way everybody expected. But on the other hand, we're trying to get back to the Premier League after 16 years out of it and we're down to... What did we say before this season? It's about eight days that we're trying to play four games in. And the concentration has to be on players who can help Leeds United get promoted. This was an old Howard Wilkinson thing where they it put a lot of noses out of joint. But if you weren't in his first team picture, a lot of the players who weren't better said they, they might as well not have been there. If you were in the reserves, he wouldn't speak to you. If you were injured, didn't want to know until... Uh, Alan Sutton was able to bring them back and say, right, he's fit again. And then he's interested in you again. If if you can't contribute to the, the game on a Saturday, it's just, it would never be part of Howard Wilkinson's thinking. I think Bielsa's got a, an element of that as well, where if he knows you can't play, who are you? Don't matter. Don't care. The development and of our players is the responsibility of Carlos Corberan and, the under 23s coaches to to give them to give younger players the the right education we didn't really take that responsibility with John Kevin Augustan because we only had him on loan he was here to help in the first team if he could and if his hamstring's gone he can't so no point in even thinking about him I do feel kind of sad about the whole thing because I I had very high expectations when we signed him and I'm struggling to think of anyone who there's been so much hype around who we've not even got to see play, particularly. Shea Adams. <laughs> well, we never actually signed him, did we? We just tried. No, but there was a lot of hype about him and we've, we've not got to see him play in a, a lead shirt. I would still take, I think we've touched on this before, I'd take Augustine in the summer. If we get promoted and we have to sign him, fine. And it could well be that if he comes back fully fit, gets a full pre-season under his belt, suddenly Marcelo Bielsa is interested in him. Because if he was a very good player in January... When his fitness is back, he'll still be a very good player in September or October or whenever the next season starts. I don't have any particular fear if he was to be part of our squad next season. In fact, I would welcome it. I would like to see him play and I would like to see if he could make good on those stats that were better than Mbappe and everything that that made him a multi-million pound player when he 
moved to fake club Leipzig. Do you think there's a way back for him though, given we've essentially sent him home? It's going to be awkward at the start of next season if he comes back. Well, there's two ways of looking at it. There's, there was a whisper in one of Phil Hayes' reports where he's spoken to people around Augustan and they're not expecting him to come back. They don't think Bielsa will want him back. They think that that route is closed. But then the other one is that considering the amount we were shedding out in, in wages, then just stopping doing that at the on the 30th of June and then revisiting it all in time for next season is a saving of about half a million quid or something, which given the amount of money we've wasted on him, probably a good time to try and claw some of that back. I wondered if plan B was, yeah, we get rid of him and we go back for the Shea Adams we wanted all the time, but then he went and scored that worldie against Man City at the weekend. And so the chances that Southampton, or at least that their manager will want to keep him, probably increased. I wish Southampton would just sack that full and it would make everybody's lives a lot easier. You definitely put the Augustan thing down as an expensive gamble. You, you know, you chalk this one in the uh, in the negative column when it comes to transfer business by auto this season. On the other side of this, a big tick, one of the stats that came to light uh, this week, Jack Clark has had 10 touches this season. 10 touches. And he's played 76 minutes for QPR so far. And we're sitting on the best part of 9 or 10 million quid for him. Uh, that's looking like a very good move on our part. I assume the 10 touches are league touches because he did play a full cup game for us, didn't he? Which if he if he's only managed 10 touches across that and the QPR game is ridiculous, but... Yeah, it's not gone brilliantly for him, has it? I mean, he's still he's still very young. He's like, we shouldn't write him off yet, but clearly something has to change because QPR are not a brilliant side, and he can't seemingly get any game time whatsoever there. And I think it, during the same sort of period, we've had we've seen Luke Garbutt released from Everton after eleven years with a almost a, a cautionary tale of what can happen if you go to the Premier League a bit too early, whereby the first team manager has absolutely no idea who you are. And I'm sure if you ask Mourinho now anything about Jack Clark, he would say, I have no idea. I don't know if his game's watched because he never plays. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Bit of a stupid time to be playing football this week, facing Stoke Thursday at five o'clock. Should be winning that, shouldn't we? Yeah, although we should Thursday at five o'clock. We should really be going off to Eastern Europe to play in the Europa League, but. 
Stoke will have to do. But yeah, let's let's win this and then everything will feel fine. Or just to um, Holland because we're not allowed to travel. Do you think we can play this game in here in Veen? Only if Lucas Radebeek can come back and do some sort of worldy goal. I think that's part of the uh, part of the bargain. Yeah, we're playing last through these midweek games. Is it something we need to concern ourselves with, or should we just concentrate on our own job? He does heap a bit of pressure on, I suppose, if other teams win. But I suppose equally, he could say if they if they lose, it gives us a bit of a free hit because we've got a game in hand on them with uh, the same points gap as before. So. I don't know, we just need to concentrate on our own stuff, don't we? That's the thing, there are so few games left and we've got such a strong position, it's almost stupid to look at what other people are doing because it doesn't matter as long as we can do our bit. And a home game against Stoke, who are shit, let's be honest. That's I realise that's tempting fate to a large degree, but the league table says they're shit and last season's league table says it as well. So let's just beat them. It's a shame they've not got Nathan Jones because it'd be nice to try and beat him again. But um, other than that, I think we can win this. Stoke are only two points outside the relegation zone, albeit they are 18th. It's very, very tight down there, but especially given what's happened to Wigan, you do fancy they should be safe on the balance of probabilities now. Playing last, I'm a little happier with um, Calvin Phillips' response last week when he was asked about West Brom's form and he said that he hadn't seen their score, which I think was a full 24 hours after their game had finished. Um whether he was lying or not, I liked his blithe confidence and compared it favourably with um, Slavin Bilic, who was uh, asked about the same sort of thing and said that the fans are checking other results, I'm checking other results, the players are checking other results. Uh, but only if they played the day before, of course, he then covered it over and said, you know, that nobody should be doing this before a game because it can affect you then. But he was definitely all on about the tension of, yeah, we're watching other games. I know Marcelo Bielsa will be watching the other team's games, but he'll be scouting their players that's you know it's what he does and you know you could tell him that there's absolutely any match is on a television channel somewhere and if he's not coaching Leeds United he will tune in but um, yeah Bilic gave off a, um, a a pleasing amount of sweat compared to uh, our nerveless Calvin lovely bit of kidology from Matthias Click through the week as well saying that he expected Brentford to win all five which there may be a grain of truth in that and it's good that the Leeds United players have to behave and think and focus thinking that Brentford will do that do the job that's in front of us and we will be absolutely fine and yeah it starts on Thursday I mean I don't know about you if you look at the the fixtures across this midweek obviously we're at home we're at home to a crap side having had a bit of a wobble against Luton this feels like the one we absolutely need to win but then you look at Brentford are playing Charlton at home who knows will some sort of River Thames voodoo influence that in particular, difficult one though, Derby at home for West Brom. Win this one and it just teases up nicely going into the weekend for the uh, for the Swansea game, which looks, on paper anyway, is the trickier of the two. I kind of feel like across this round of games, there'll be everyone will drop some points. I don't know why, I just have a feeling there'll be some draws scattered around there and they'll probably come in different game rounds and it'll seem like there's a bit of back and forth on it but then we'll probably get to the end of these two games and everything will be more or less exactly as it was before. And that is brilliant. I don't, I don't care about pulling away anymore. It'd be nice, obviously, but if we can just... It's just about ticking off these games now because it looks... It starts to look impossible if we can just win a, two more games. We can slip up a couple of times. Brentford and... I'd like to think Fulham and Forest are pretty much out of it now. But Brentford can't afford to slip up at all. They probably need to win every game to go up this season. Whereas we have got a bit of breathing space, so... 
let's just try and keep everything the same. I don't want anything to change. I just want Leeds United to be eternally top of the championship. Brentford have played themselves into a false sense of security. Four wins in a row since the lockdown and then they're counting the 5-0 over Sheffield Wednesday before it happened, which I think they need to forget about. That's ancient history. They will not be able to win every game between now and the season, the end of the season. It's just not feasible that they are going to come out of this with how many is that? That's nine wins in a row, 10 if they insist on that Sheffield Wednesday game counting. They're not that good. They've just managed to convince themselves that they are by winning a couple. We know what Pontus Janssen's like under pressure. He's, let's pick. So they're playing Charlton, Derby, Preston, Brentford, Barnsley. Which game does Pontus get his red card in? Was it against Preston for us when he had that fake head injury that time? Yeah. So it could be, although they're playing at um, Griffin Park this time. So you won't have the, um, the urgent rush to Preston Infirmary to save his head. Something like that will happen. Just to correct what you said there, Moscow, it's Charlton, Derby, Preston, Stoke and Barnsley. You said they were playing Brentford, which is themselves, and they can't do that, as far as I'm aware. That's my entire point. They are playing themselves. That's They've uh, convinced themselves that they're summit when they're now. It does say a lot about our, the fragility of, of our confidence that we're looking at Brentford's running going, oh, it's a piece of piss, that running. And then you look at ours and it's basically the same teams. You think, oh, hang on, if they can win all their games, then we should be able to win all ours, shouldn't we? But it's just one of those things that you you never imagine a, a thing that you were that you were longing to happen to actually happen. Certainly, I don't. Anyway, I just assume bad things will happen to us. Beating Stoke is well within our remit. I know that they they spanked Barnsley, but they lost to Wigan. They lost to Middlesbrough. You don't lose to Middlesbrough if you're any good. And they are one of those teams that they fancy themselves a bit. They've got um, an international manager in Michael O'Neill. They'll come and play. They aren't going to be a Luton Nathan Jonesing it behind the ball. So there'll be that space against them. It will, I think it'll be very similar to Blackburn away, but easier because it will be at Elland Road. See, I think Stoke will absolutely come for a draw. <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> if you look at the other fixtures like through this midweek, Forest away at Fulham. So it's going to rule at least one of them out of that particular race. If we are to perm two from three, and you have to realistically think it is us, West Brom and Brentford for these these top three. We only need to be better than one of them, not both of them, to go up. That's the other saving grace. And on top of that, if you look at this round of fixtures, let's say we beat Stoke, but let's also say that West Brom win and Brentford both win. So we're in exactly the same position with four games to go. We are then looking at a three-game swing for Brentford to overtake us with a six-point gap. Admittedly, they've got a better goal difference than we have, but they're still looking at having to outperform us on three out of the four games. So are you saying we're up? I'm not saying we're up. What I'm saying is we should be up and all we need to do is maintain based on like our XG points, we get all the stuff we've done so far this season, just carry on doing what we've been doing at the rate we've been doing it and we will go up. Are you overlooking the fact that Swansea have got the tactical genius of Cooper in charge who the home game masterminded a, was it a victory or a draw for them? I can't even remember. He was really fucking smug about it anyway. After they'd got, we'd had about 30 shots on target and they'd had one. And he went afterwards, he went, yes, just as I planned, just as I'd planned. The Philgly freak. Well, all being well, if, um, if either Derby or Cardiff win this midweek, that should then rule out Swansea from the playoffs, hopefully. If they, uh, particularly if they drop points at Birmingham through the week. So there's, there's plenty, 
that can shift mentally between now and Sunday and that if their players suddenly realise, well, hang on a minute, we're sort of five, six points off the playoffs now, they're going to know that one's probably done and maybe then they start thinking about, oh, well, can I get away for a nice holiday at some point? When is the summer break exactly going to be? When's next season starting? All that sort of stuff's going to play into their minds and as soon as they mentally switch off, we're in there. We seem to be unduly reliant on Derby in this running, don't we? Because at the moment, with the reform the way it is, they seem the most likely team to take points off West Brom and Brentford. And I don't trust them. Not one bit. I'm sure they're going to deliberately lose those games. But they could and we still go up. And we still win the league. We're really only reliant on ourselves. And I think that's why I'm confident that we are the uh, English Football League Championship title winners for 2019-20. Particularly after hearing about the players getting a, a team meeting together after the Luton game to sort of sort things out and, and get a grip. That gives me more heart than any of the XG, any of the statistics, any of the form guides, any of the permutations, is that they're not letting this get away from them. The slightest, I mean, a draw against Luton is all right. It's not a terrible result, as we said in the match, but it's a point that we need. As long as you're adding points, you're going in the right direction. But then because it wasn't three points and because it wasn't perfect, they've gone into work and they've done the necessary things to turn that into three points in the in the next game, probably got a really bright torch and shone it in Patrick Bamford's eyes to try and get to the root of that problem and find out, you know, matches click when he was saying that he told his girlfriend that he couldn't possibly play any worse than he did against Luton. And he's one who came back, didn't look great against Cardiff and got subbed off early didn't have a particularly outstanding game against Fulham, was, as he says, the pits against Luton, and then against Blackburn, probably the best player on the pitch, won that game for us with a, an assist and a goal. They're doing the right things behind the scenes. There's, there's not the feeling that you might have that there's nobody there who can stop anything, who can stop something from going wrong. There's a lot of players that have been there for a long time who understand the significance of this, who are still hurting from last season, they're going to do what it takes to not let it happen again. I think it, it feels a little bit Warnockian in that, you know, the, you're talking about the character of the lads in the dressing room and not being able to fault their effort, which he trotted out after Middlesbrough got beaten at the weekend. But I feel like in an unprecedented tournament, which is what we're in, that's really vital now. And I'm more confident that Leeds have it and can display it through a defeat at Cardiff and a draw at, at Luton than the point I'm making about Brentford, who think they're absolutely on easy street, that all they have to do is roll onto the pitch and win. It's not that easy. It's the fucking championship. It's an absolute dick of a league. And we know that, and we know it better than most. You've got to think that out of Brentford's games, surely in one they're going to get an unjust penalty given against them, or someone's going to get sent off, or just some random event is going to happen that happens in the championship all the time. Basically, every time we lose, it takes some strange event for for it to happen. And that's got to happen to them, hasn't it? It has. Reassure me. Now we've established that we are very much firmly going up. We can start planning the end of season promotion party if we are allowed out. Well, the pubs have reopened in Britain for better and for worse. So there's going to be some gatherings. So if at some point we do actually genuinely get to have a promotion party, we will look at the logistics of, of actually doing this. But let's keep it in the theoretical realm for now. This started out in August as our uh, end-of-season party destination, past the Stoke when we lost in the League Cup. So it's you know passed around from club to club like that. 
it ended up with Liverpool and it split off a European version just to give us more options. So we've got a domestic version doing the rounds and we've got a European version doing the rounds. So uh, first up, international European version still in Spain. Yeah, Atletico Madrid went to Barcelona. We thought it may end up changing hands, but nope, they managed to get a draw there. And then went, they went on to beat Mallorca 3-0, which when that was going on, I was there's a bit of me thinking, oh, if we was in Mallorca, we could invite Becchio, which would be quite nice. But no, never going to happen, unfortunately. So they play Celta Vigo tonight, as we're recording, which is uh, the Monday. And then Moscow, who's their next game against? Real Betis. <laughs> it's Betis. You silly boy. I'm still stunned. I'm trying to work out why you won't allow Luciano Becchio onto the Spanish mainland. He is allowed, you know. He can you can get a boat or a plane. I just thought it was a bit of a a bit of an ask for him to, you know, make the journey. Whereas if we were there anyway, we could have we could essentially have just played it anywhere on the island of Mallorca. And if that happened to be wherever Becchio was, then you know, what a happy coincidence. Just tell him it's a barbecue, he'll be there. He does look to have the best life, I have to say, looking at his Instagram. I, I'm very jealous of it. And one thing to note about this, if Atletico do manage to keep hold of it until the end of the season, there's the Champions League to deal with just yet, which is going to be played out in a tournament fashion after the league seasons have finished. So it could still end up in Italy, Germany, France, could stay in Spain or come back to England. It'd feel like a letdown if it ended up in Manchester, wouldn't it? Having been on such a great world tour, but well, European tour, but um, I kind of fancy it staying in Spain. Although it did end up in Manchester briefly, didn't it, after Liverpool lost 4-0 to Manchester City because they were the holders with Liverpool at that point. But then Southampton pinched it immediately. Well done, Shay Adams. You've switched to the domestic version here, which is, may confuse people because it is a slightly bewildering mixture of tournaments now. But yes, uh, Liverpool did have it for ages. Then Man City had it. Now Southampton have got it. But then Southampton are going back to Liverpool this week because they play Everton. So it might end up back in Liverpool after all. It's twists and turns, I tell you. It's exciting stuff. There is a strong argument for just waiting until it's somewhere nice and then we go there. A quick reminder, you can get 10% off Levi solicitors if you go through the square ball, residential law, employment law, wills, probate or commercial stuff. If you've got a business, they can take care of dispute resolution, commercial property, debt recovery. You can grab that discount 10% by heading to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Final part of the podcast sees us picking our heroes and villains from the past seven days. First is the Ken Bates Villainy Award. And it's become part of the custom and the rules codified for this award that Ken Bates gets a nomination. We always struggle to find something to attach to original, the OG Ken Bates. So we've trolled the world looking for other ones, one of which we found a councilman, Kenneth Bates, who is in District 2 in Casper, Wyoming, who I believe is the nominee this week for... Um, he doesn't want people feeding animals, is the latest thing. Okay, I mean, really, this is just a cheap excuse to get you to do the voice, Michael. So the details really don't matter. So what's he been doing? Oh, oh they don't matter. Right, well, he doesn't want people feeding um, feral cats and dogs, basically, stray animals. You can still feed, feed birds and squirrels. They're fine. He doesn't mind them. People who not feed feral cats. I like it, but you need to account. People... Who may not have the capacity to realise that what they're doing is not helpful. Old cat ladies, and I like him. And I'd like to see some wording added to the section to the proposed audience pertaining to aggressive and vicious animals. It's clear that if a dog or pet is attacked by another dog, it's not automatically considered aggressive for defending itself. It's the only way 
you stop a bad dog, is with a good dog, with a gun. And that's the American way. And that's why I'd be voting for it. <laughs> that was particularly nauseating. Well done. Nice work. Right. Uh, Neil Warnock, we're nominating him, are we? Well, he's back, isn't he? In full effect. <laughs> well, as I think you mentioned it earlier, what were his words after their defeat on on the weekend? Can't fault the lads. They've uh, they've put in a lot a lot of But it's what I'm really enjoying about his uh, his stint at Middlesbrough so far, and and this was predicted by this podcast. He's taking no responsibility for anything that's going wrong. His language was really interesting. They it was a uh, well. As he described, it's a silly mistake. They keep making these uh, these silly mistakes. They're they're letting themselves uh, down, and it's really this real clear distinction between Neil Warnock, who is a, a multiple promotion winning uh, coach, and in the the long story about him going to Middlesbrough at the Athletic, it is a, you know, some of, some of the lads have been talking about my promotions, so they uh, they know what I can do, and the players, them, they distinct from him who keep going out on the pitch and making these silly mistakes that mean that they lost to uh they lost to Hull and who beat them at the weekend it was whoever it was some more no marks that they really needed to beat and, uh, but yeah they, they just keep shooting themselves in the foot these lads and uh, I don't know what I can do with them really apart from maybe uh, uh, maybe go to Cornwall and pretend I were never here if he gets them third from bottom but then Wigan get relegated instead of them. He is still going to try and take credit for it, despite the fact when he took the job, that would not have been enough. He's still going to be giving it the big and about what a great what a great job he's done to save the lads. And he just had to give him a little bit more belief. It was just about talking to him. And Blackie's been in there, and you know we've been able to get our ideas across. And they want me to stay for next season. Fucking his kitchen. If something like that happens, I will I will find a Far East betting syndicate myself to buy Neil Warnock and place him into administration. I don't know how that would work or what it would look like, but I will make it my mission to deduct his promotions from him. I mean, you should might just want to explain Kevin Blackwell fucking his kitchen as well. Because <laughs> without any context, that really makes very little sense. He, um, he claimed that he was... Well, it didn't make a lot of sense anyway. He said that when uh, the phone call came for him to, uh, to join... Colin in Middlesbrough, he was building an outdoor kitchen or installing an outdoor kitchen is the, the phrase, which did he, did he mean he was, he was just like wheeling a barbecue onto the patio. I don't understand the concept of Kevin Blackwell having an outdoor kitchen unless he's decided the wife has had, you know, too much of a, a life of luxury and she now has to do the washing up outdoors while he glares at her through the window saying, uh, Sharon does a better job than that. <laughs> Look how happy they are. You know what makes what makes them have an happy marriage? Clean dishes. Anyway, he got bored doing all that as soon as his his, uh, his master phoned him up. And uh, yeah, and his uh, his explanation to that to so the, the journalist talking to him was: Listen, fuck the kitchen. I can build a kitchen anytime. This is about Middlesbrough Football Club, which I think was rejected dialogue from one of the Die Hard films. I'm not sure which. Fuck the kitchen. I can build a kitchen anytime. I'll do a great kitchen. Best kitchen. Best, I'm the best qualified fucking joiner in the world. I'll do the wiring as well and the tiling. I'll do it fucking all. But right now, relegation. And will she appreciate it? No, she won't. Sharon, she's a wife who appreciates a good husband. It's quite a false equivalence, is that, isn't it? The choice on the one hand between the kitchen or Teesside, but you know. An outdoor kitchen, what does he mean? Why not, what's wrong with your indoor kitchen? 
Are they living on the streets? Is it just a is it just a frying pan on some on like a a fire pit or something? Maybe that's it. A frying pan on a shopping trolley. It'll be one of those fancy pizza ovens or something, won't it? With just roast beef on it. Anyway, let's not concern ourselves too much with um, with those chaps. Uh, let's concern ourselves instead with God-fearing Nathan Jones. Well, he wouldn't be drawn on whether Leeds will go up because uh, because of his beliefs, which was an interesting quote after um, after the draw. Ellen Road used, asked who would go up, and he said, I'm not a betting man, I'm a Christian. But if I was, I'd definitely put Leeds and one of the others. And I think it's a similar um, response to him saying, well, I... I wouldn't swear at Pablo Hernandez because I'm a Christian. But on the other hand, I called him a son of a bitch. I mean, if we didn't need Pablo so desperately for the rest of the season, I wish he'd chinned him. I hope in the summer he does. I hope he tracks him down and does him in an alleyway. Don't speak to Pablo like that. And as for Miss, as for poor Mrs. Hernandez, what has she done wrong? No need for that at all. There was also the uh, the implication from... Um, from Nathan Jones, that he was just practicing his holiday Spanish. And uh, um, if that's the kind of Spanish he, he uses on the regular, if he's constantly over there, just like, doth the Vader, you, I can't even remember. It's... Puta de mare or something he said, didn't he? Puta, something like this. You see, we don't know the bad words in Spanish because we're nice. Um, and I, I don't have to go to church every Sunday not to insult people and their mothers in their uh, in their native tongue, and then claim I was just practicing my fucking GCSE Spanish. Um, I would be very interested to know what um, Pablo Hernandez and Victor Orta, who also got involved in this, said to him in response. Because I can only imagine that they cussed him. They may not have chinned him, but they cussed him into heaven, down to hell, and into the next worlds that um, Nathan Jones has never compl- uh, contemplated before. What a weirdo. Such a freak. I hate him. And then he lost 5-0 to Reading after showing off about getting a great result against us. Regression to the mean, I think they call it, don't they, for Luton. They deserved to lose 5-0 to us, but instead they lost 5-0 to Reading. It was always the obvious post-Leeds result. And Reading are absolutely irrelevant in this division, as they always are, apart from the fact that they're going to go bust. Not going up, not going down. They don't need to win 5-0. Luton don't need to lose 5-0. But... They had nothing else left to do after drawing with Leeds United. We we knacker teams. Half-time team talking, that one. Right, lads, I just want to say to you, you've played like a set of bastardos that first half. Just book your ideas up for the uh, second bit. All right, lads, off you go. Is he from Barnsley? I have no idea. I have no idea. He's Welsh, isn't he? Oh. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Bastardos. That's Indian. But never mind. <laughs> Let's just stay away from that because it might sound dubious. Right. Danny Mills, shut up, you idiot. <laughs> it's a, I mean, he's nominated this week just for the cumulative effect of this. Every time when I'm just going through to double check we've not missed any news, Danny Mills has commented on something and he never knows what he's talking about. He's, he's, this is a story about John Stones potentially going to Everton, which I don't even think is a story that's, that's come from anywhere other than the fact he used to play for them. And he's then said, uh, he may cost you 35 million. Would you rather take him or Ben White from Brighton for 20 million and a lot less wages? I know where I'd be going with that one. No one's talked about 20 million for Ben White. People are talking about 35 million for Ben White and probably not that much less in wages given he's going to be getting a move of that standard. 
just stop talking about things, Danny Mills. If someone rings you up to ask you about something and you don't have a clue, you're allowed to just say, oh, I'm not sure. That's fine. I always love the um, the false sense of authority that comes with these stories. The, I look on um, news now at this instant and that very story has just been posted by yet another website at um, we are speaking up at 16 minutes past five on Monday, the 6th of July, and two minutes ago. And this is the headline, Everton told to swoop for lead star in money-saving transfer. And if you're Everton, are you going to let Danny fucking Mills tell you what to do? Who is he to tell? I'm telling Everton. Carlo Ancelotti, what's he ever won? Listen to me. And if if Ben White was available for 20 million quid, I imagine pretty much every team in the Premier League would have him. Who else would we like to nominate then? Uh, whoever is DMing Phil Hay. If you haven't seen that story as well, he was saying that a championship rival player got in touch, slid into his DMs, I think is what the kids describe it as these days, um, asking what was going on at Leeds off the back of the Luton draw. And I would also like to nominate Phil Hay, um, because as, as far as I'm aware, he hasn't told us who is DMing him. But you can't just throw that gossip out there and not come through with a name. Name them. Who is it, Phil? It's Matt Grimes's mum using Matt Grimes's account. That's the room. That's what I'm going for. Moscow, a little bit of bad news for you. Uh, he might not have told you, but <laughs> he might have told other people that he now does a podcast with. Well, those other people had better tell me. Otherwise, I'll start feeling left out. Just have. It's Matt Grimes' mum. No, in reality. Well, that's an incredibly surprising name. <laughs> Didn't expect that, did you? Absolutely come out of left field. Are we nominating the EFL for what they've done to Wigan? Of course we are. I mean, I think we've previously given them credit for losing Sean Harvey and improving. But this isn't an improvement, is it? This seems worse, <laughs> if anything, than anything Sean Harvey did. Certainly on par with. Particularly when um, he was out, Rick Perry was outside his, his own house going, yeah, I think it's something to do with the betting thing in the Philippines. I don't know. It's a mess. What a mess. Who's done this? <laughs> it seems to be the EFL way with things, doesn't it? To go, Christ, who's been in charge of this? This is a right mess. Who let him take over? God, it's, um, at least, yeah, in the Sean Harvey days, there was at least a like a, a plausible gap between them saying, yeah, it looks perfect. If they can buy two clubs, that would be better. And then everything going wrong. Whereas this took a week. Come on, we've got to be doing better than this. And I do feel sorry for Wigan because they've been, they've done incredibly well to get themselves out of trouble. And now this has been shat upon them, which I, I know a lot of between football fans there's a lot of taking the piss about stuff like this and oh well, no one cared when it was us and stuff but eventually this will happen have happened to every club in the football league I think there'll be everyone has had a bad owner or is going to have a bad owner at some stage it'd be better if we just didn't it might have been funny at first but the joke's over now let's just not let random people take over football clubs and we're gonna find like I know that they spoil our promotion last season they beat us this season but really they're okay and their manager's not a dickhead. If it was, you know, Nathan Jones was suffering this, you, you, you wouldn't feel much sympathy. But um, Paul Cook's never crowed about being Leeds as far as I'm aware. He's just gone, yeah, they're a great team and we've done really really well to get a result here and you you can't argue with the, the results that they've got against us. And Mrs. Hernandez is a lovely woman. <laughs> exactly. I hope we're going to be okay. Especially if it means Middlesbrough go down. Um, I also wanted to nominate the Premier League since we're nominating the EFL because they've come up with this plan to uh, to charge promoted teams £8 million to cover the Premier League's COVID-19 losses that have been incurred before we go 
into the Premier League. So I think we'll be paying out to the EFL and the Premier League to cover losses in both because it's all our fault. And it's annoying in one respect, the sheer audacity and indignity of it all. But also, you know, if we've got to find the money for Jean-Kevin Augustin in the end, or even the legal bills to avoid buying him, an £8 million hit to our budget, even if it is Premier League budget that we're talking about, not really what we need. We could always spite him and not go up. That'd work, wouldn't it? That'll learn him, on it? That'll learn him. Yep. Let's do that. Right, who's your villain? Nathan Jones. Or we give it to Bleeped Out. Nah, Nathan Jones. Learn some fucking manners. All right, fair enough. Don't really care. Let's do heroes instead. People who've done fun things for us, happy things, joyful things for us this week. The Andy Hughes Hero Award nominations. Go. Uh, little Lee Johnson. He's gone, hasn't he, from Bristol, which is a shame because we always beat him. I had this impression that we always beat Bristol and I looked and we did. So he won his first game against us when Gary Monk was in charge. So that doesn't really count. He beat us 1-0 in 2016. But since then, we've faced him seven times, 1-6, drawn one. We need more Lee Johnsons in the game. There's There's room for them. He does have a remarkable self-assurance for somebody who is so shit at his job. I was looking, spending some idle hours earlier, scrolling through um, photo library websites, at, at recent photos of Lee Johnson, and noticed a couple of interesting things. One is that they're, they're all to scale, which um, I don't think shows him in a very good light. Secondly, the thing with um, with people wearing masks is that there's a, there's a sense that you, you can't always read their faces as fully as if you could see the full head. It, it disguise some, disguises something about their, their true feelings or emotions or, or character. He somehow, I think, looks even more smug in a mask. It hides nothing. You, it is all there. It, he may as well just write smug cockend over the mask and just have that written there so that there's no doubt and those, yeah, I found that quite noticeable. There's another one of the amusing photos there. Somebody's taken a, a photo of him speaking to the press after the last game. And for some reason, the setup at the side of Ashton Gate is like the uh, the press are talking to him over a fence. But also he appears to be on a, a lower level than them behind this fence away from a, a platform that the media are on. So they're all leaning down with their microphones. And it's either that or he really is just a tiny Pips week of a dickhead. Um, <laughs> when you said about the mask, my immediate thought was, you know, when you go on a plane and they say, if you're travelling with with small children, please fit your own mask before dealing with theirs. Maybe maybe he's had to have assistance. And he'll be going back now to selling used cars anyway at the local dealership. So good luck to him. He looks like like one of those guys from there, doesn't he? If you are one of those guys as well, I make no apology. You know exactly what I mean. He he gives their uh, he gives their fine industry a bad name. Exactly that, Moscow. Thank you for saving my ass. From the first team, players from the weekend and across the week, Pat Bamford, Barry Douglas, Matthias Click, Calvin. Should we put all those into the hat? Pat did another goal. Baza returned to form. He's made team of the week as well. Click, better. Calvin, brilliant set piece. Free kick against uh, against Blackburn after the kind of mess against Luton. I think particular credit for Barry Douglas because Dallas has been one of our best players this season. So... It seemed like it might cause a bit of an issue having him not in the team, but we saw the Barry Douglas we hoped we'd signed. And the Pat Bamford we hoped we'd signed. That was a good finish. I enjoyed that goal from uh, Bam Bam. And uh, Click was brilliant for me. And I still 
have a lot of time for uh, for matches. Any external candidates then that are not our first teamers? Beck, the dead Labrador, rest in peace. Who is the um, uh, the dog that was celebrating with Jackie Harrison after he scored against Fulham? Was tracked down. Was um, the friend of Nicola Roberts, who unfortunately Beck passed away at the start of lockdown. But um, uh, the family were very very happy to see him having a an enthusiastic resurrection to help Jackie Harrison after he'd scored the goal. So um, if anybody was wondering who the the big lab in the cup was uh, against Fulham, now we know and we'll be barking on the lads through the remaining games. I like that story. It's a shame that Beck is is no longer with us. But um, for my initial scepticism about the whole concept of crowdies and I still worry that we are being replaced in football grounds by cardboard cutouts and advertising strewn drinks breaks. But I am very much in favour of people's beloved family pets getting involved in the run-in where they cannot. I noticed Blackburn's crowdies were a very poor show, weren't they? They had about a dozen of them, it seemed, on the halfway line. Pathetic. Good effort from Wacko then. The flag, we're going to give those guys a mention for the flag that they raised money with. Yeah, about, I don't know what it got to in the end. I think it was around 1,300 quid, but there's a now a massive flag in the South Stand with Norman Hunter and Trevor Cherry on, which you can see, which is currently there in an empty South Stand, but it will look even better with people around it. So nice little uh, design as well on, with all the honours the two of them won underneath it. So good thing. And a retrospective nomination of Villainy. We missed this one on the first pass, but those people who have already got a Leeds United promotion flag made it was one of the branches I can't remember who but what have you done by doing that and the promotion has the letters MOT done differently to to play on marching on together which is a nice touch but let's get there first lads say I mean we've not hit print on any of our promotion merchandise yet have we we've merely planned it yeah but it's awful even discussing I've hated every every second of it because it feels like we're somehow influencing the outcome even though I know that we're not yeah as much as people are annoyed you have to remember these things there's no such thing as a curse even though it appears to be true often. Do my eyes deceive me on the uh, the Hunter and Cherry flag, but that is the European Cup I can see in the middle, isn't it, with 1975 underneath it. So while we're uh, we're criticising some people for, for going too early on promotion flags, that is long overdue, and I'm very happy to see that that's um, part of the tribute to those two players and will be displayed proudly in the team. And if we ever do rearrange that friendly against Bayern Munich's so-called legends. I think we should get more European Cup winners 1975 flags and banners made and just uh, display them as prominently around the, the stadium and city as we can. Go out, run out on the pitch with a star over the badge on the shirts just for that one game, one game only. Maybe even get the, because uh, they give you that big gold patch now, don't they? Stick that on with 1975 written on it and then if anybody inquires, pretend... They're the mad ones. All right, then your final act for this podcast, pick yourself a hero. I'm happy to give it to Wacko for that banner. The European Cup is a lovely touch, actually. You somehow, you say it like you object to having Norman Hunter and Trevor Cherry on there. It's subtle, though. It's because I hadn't noticed it until now. If it were just them two, rubbish. I've never heard of them two, but um, yeah. Yeah, it's a nice, I, I must admit, I suppose because I know it to be true, I, I'd not even noticed it. But yes, you're right. It's uh, It's a very nice touch, is that? And it's a... A good tribute to the pair of them. Yeah, the whole thing's great. They've got the um, the great photo of uh, of Norman Hunter guiding a very young and concerned looking Trevor Cherry through one of his early games, where I think he's telling him just snap his legs, Trevor. Don't don't take any shit. Just snap him, which um, sums the two of them up very well. 
More Extra Ball Championship Manager Phil Hay podcasts come in this week with another match ball straight after Stoke City at home as well. Please do have a look at the merchandise via our website as well. Loads and loads of stuff coming into stock. Nothing promotion, nothing yet. We haven't hit send on any of that stuff and it won't happen until that one is in the bag. Please can it be in the bag? Uh, but yeah, check out the merch. New t-shirts coming in, the squareball.net. We'll get out of here for this one. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you later in the week. The Square Ball Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.